thank you for his healing. We thank you for mm. you empowering him with your scripture and the people that he meets, that, he, that they would all hear your truth. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, team. It is a joy to be with you. Didn't the band sound fantastic? Uh, I just thrilled my heart. Just able to worship God and declare his glory uh, in the safety of good music. So thank you, team. Thank you very much. Just want to acknowledge a friend of mine, Colette Williams, who's sitting next to Mary. Um, she's a bully. Um, she came to me when I was sick. And she said, uh, I'm pretty sure God doesn't want you to be sick, Nick. Um, I want you to take the healing of God seriously. And so she was colluding with all of you guys. And uh, so she waggled her finger at me and got me in a line. And, um, and I'm eternally grateful for her. And, I, and this is one of the huge blessings of having beautiful Christian friends. So um, chat up Colette afterwards. Colette is married to uh, a minor minister in the Uniting Church called Rob who was the ex-moderator, <laughs> and he's a good bloke. He's suffering from man flu at the moment, so there we are. Just a quick thing about Montaz coming. I'm really excited. Uh, uh, it's really a mixed thing, isn't it? I mean, being the outgoing pastor, um, it, it's, it's, it's a fabulous thing when an outgoing pastor I can feel very excited about a preferred candidate coming uh, who's going to take over potentially. Um, uh, the love and care of you guys and grow you with, with huge energy. And uh, it's been decided uh, by uh, Mary and myself and, and the selection team that would let Montaz have you to himself, all to himself, next Sunday. So Mary and I will not be here. We can be an intimidating duo, evidently. And... Uh, <laughs> But we are certainly going to be there the week after, on the 12th, because I want to eat some of those sausages and stuff. So uh, that's, that's why we will not be there next, next week. Here. I'll be here. Cool? Cool! All right. For those who don't know, we are going through the Beatitudes. And uh, we are at Beatitude 4. Are these the most extraordinary, outrageous, countercultural teachings of Jesus? So I want to ask you a question. Who is going to win the soul uh, of Australians? And, and in the time we live in, it's, it's, it's extraordinary stuff going on, which we could never have predicted even five years ago. Uh, so who's actually going to win the soul of most Australians? Will it be the secularists, the atheists? Um, will it be the neo-Marxists with their redefined notions of sexuality? Will it be people of other faiths? Uh, who, will, who will it be? Uh, and I got a suspicion that whoever wins the right to influence Australia, it, it'll be those who exhibit more passion for their cause than their rivals. More passion for their cause than their ri rivals. So let's talk about Passion. <laughs> the Danish theologian Soren Kierkegaard says this, Let others complain that the age is wicked. My complaint is that it is paltry, for it lacks passion. Men's thoughts are thin and flimsy, 
like lace. And his comments lead uh, him to wonder whether our children have experienced too much, too often, too young. Have we bombarded their senses with too many trips to Wonderland? Have we jaded them with so much artificially generated excitement that it's become difficult for them to feel anything to be authentically enthusiastic about? What do you reckon? A while ago. Uh, he said, Wonderland, not Disneyland, Mary. So it is, yeah, yeah just. <coughs> Jesus' fourth beatitude says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So this beatitude is for those who have passion. It's for those who are passionate about pursuing what is right. These people are deeply wounded about injustice uh, and evil. Uh, they, they crave justice and the rightness of things. Um, one of the great offenses and obscenities uh, is that Australians, most Australians, don't know the glory and beauty and truth of God. That, that in fact, in order to bolster uh, many of their false beliefs that they use as excuses not to take God seriously, they've got to necessarily embrace untruth. And that makes me angry. <laughs> as a scientist who loves truth, that makes me very, very angry. Oh, Mary. It's all right. She just lost a piece of paper. I just found it. <laughs> we have that sort of relationship. <laughs> so this beatitude is for those who agree the things that are wrong in the world. And they crave justice, and it motivates them to pursue it even w against great odds and personal cost, at some personal cost. And so lazy indifference is not an option when it comes to the things of righteousness. It's an issue that claims your heart. It, Injustice, evil, imperfection are offensive to them because it is offensive to God, and, and, and it's just bad. Now, please note that we're not just talking about being passionate. Uh, people are passionate about many things, aren't they? Um, <laughs> Gunny's here. <laughs> Go the crows. Uh, but you're still sulking. <laughs> So you should. That was terrible, terrible final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, Proverbs nine, uh, chapter 19, verse 2 says this. It says, zeal, uh, it, 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 it actually warns us against zeal without knowledge. Having zeal without knowledge. Um, I reckon it's, 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 a, it's not a good thing. Uh, so if you're going to be passionate, be passionate about the right things. Be passionate about what is good and true. There's also plenty of self-destructive addictions that are pursued with passions. Let me just tell you, uh, <laughs> one of the most interesting people we hung out with in Keith was, uh, was the town's worst addict. He was addicted to everything. didn't matter. It just, just, just addicted. And uh, we, he used to spend Christmas with us. And uh, it was a bit of a mixed blessing, actually, because it was cause could be quite entertaining. Um, he told me the, gr the best definition of an addict, by the way, 
is an, uh, the best definition of an addict is, is someone who doesn't let their marijuana plant grow more than six inches. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, let me, let me tell you, he had plenty of passion, uh, but it was all for the wrong stuff. Um, and so we're talking about having a passion for righteousness, for things being in their right place. And this, of course, presupposes that we know what actually is right and true, because many don't. Uh, and the only rule in today's postmodern world is that everything must be tolerated. There's no such thing as absolute truth. Truth is simply what works for you at any one time. But for those who hunger and thirst, who just grieve for the lack of righteousness, such a laissez-faire relativism is not an option. They understand God's truth. You understand God's truth. They understand God's holiness. You understand God's holiness. They understand God's righteous principles. You understand God's righteous principles. We've got to be careful, of course, not to be arrogant enough to insist on certain moral behavior because of our own convictions. I'm, I'm only mildly interested in your convictions, lovely as you are, uh, but I'm keenly interested in God's convictions which live out in you which, you, which you say, yes, that's true and that's right, yes, and I want to cheer you on as you pursue these things. It's quite a claim, isn't it, to know what righteousness is. And it's not u universally appreciated because uh, many prefer to do their own thing and design a faith that will suit their own lifestyle. Tantamount to worshipping yourself, really. So implicit in this beatitude is the claim that God has chosen to reveal his holy ways, chosen to reveal what righteousness looks like. And these principles are not something that a bunch of philosophers came up with one day uh, while sitting under a tree. Um, this is something that God has revealed consistently through the centuries. And one of the most extraordinary things that, that I appreciate as, as a scholar of the Bible uh, is, is the consistency and how everything dovetails together. And, and the God who reveals himself to Moses uh, and to the Hebrew people and says, this is what I'm like, and here are 10 rules that are a bit of a summary <laughs> will keep you on, <laughs> give you a big clue as to my character. <laughs> you know? That God hasn't changed in the age of the Higgs boson, you know, uh, and the International Space Station. Uh, the, the character of God has remained the same. And I love that, don't you? I, I, that really is superb. And so God has revealed what righteousness is for our benefit. And it is these righteous principles that godly people hunger for. Well, one thing is certain, if you're going to have a passion for something, um, you are going to do a great deal more than simply give it your intellectual assent. Uh, and it's this old thing, isn't it? You know, oh, I believe in God. <laughs> really? <laughs> Terrific. Oh, well, so does the devil. 
Uh, it doesn't make him a Christian. Have a nice day. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it, gosh, if, if the God of the universe is in love has created you, uh, in love has sh- show, shared what his, his principles and dreams are for us, and, and in love comes to us and dies on a cross to rescue us back, and in love gives us his Holy Spirit to indwell us and empower our ministry, and in love gives us a hope that is internal, and you're indifferent about that? You're lukewarm about that? <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I'm passionate about that. I'm passionate about the rightness of that being known. And Jesus is a great example. His passion for God's house, the temple, uh, was such that (laughs) when he saw this extraordinary temple that Herod had been building uh, for about 40 years, it was was only about four years off completion, actually. Uh, And the outer temple, which was used by us mob, it was used by the non-Jews, the outer court uh, of the Gentiles, big major uh, court in which you could uh, change money into the Tyrian um, silver that was acceptable <laughs> to the Jews, Jewish coffers. They, they tried to pretend, by the way, that they did that for reasons, uh, the fact that it was particularly holy and hadn't actually got a foreign god stamped on it, but in actual reality it had it had the highest silver content in it. <laughs> they made more money out of it. So, yeah. They're good at business. They're good at business. Um, and Jesus goes in there and he sees that you, know, you, you can buy uh, animals to sacrifice. And the whole place become a market. It, was just, it just was indistinguishable from, from a trading market uh, outside of the temple. And, and, and he realized... And, and, and and so this zeal comes over him. This is my father's house where, where the people of the world should come and pray. And when they come in here, because we are meant to be uh, chaplains to the entire world, the Jewish people. Uh, but we've messed that up because the big court that we have would welcome the, the people of the world into has been turned into a marketplace. And so he takes his belt off and, and he whacks it around and he drives out those uh, selling animals and he tips over the tables of the money changers, which wouldn't have earned him many brownie points with those in power. Because technically speaking, this is, this is, this is interesting, because not a single law was being broken by those people in, in that temple. Not a single law, officially. And I'm reminded that Hitler didn't break a single law according to the law of, of, of his land. So institutions don't necessarily <laughs> make godly laws and godly decision, decisions. But what you couldn't argue with was Jesus' passion for holiness, that, that the God should be available to every person who comes and worships in the temple. Um, Zeal is something you've got to be pretty careful with. It can burn you out and get you into trouble. However, godly zeal that's in sync with God's agenda is just plain dangerous. Um, It is uh, the zeal of William Wilberforce, 
um, caused him to abolish slavery in England, a lifelong struggle. Martin Luther King had a zeal to end racial discrimination in America, and Nelson Mandela had a similar zeal to end apartheid in South Africa. Now here's a question. What passion has God given you for the time that we live in? What's, what's the passion God has given you? What is it that grips your heart about the time we live in now? What's the blue touch paper that God's Holy Spirit is going to light? What do you have a zeal for? If you have not got a passion for the things of God, then look around, <laughs> see what's going on in society and bring it to God in prayer and let God show you his passion for what you're seeing and introduce you to your mission to address it. So this beatitude is for those who are pained, absolutely pained at the lack of righteousness and their hunger and thirst for it. When did you last feel that hunger and thirst? The intense pain and longing that commits to action. This is why, by the way, I love people who fast and pray. Um, fasting is, is a beautiful thing and it's, it's a tool that God has given us to signal to ourselves um, and to God that the, you mean business in prayer. It focuses their prayer, removes distractions, fasting and, and prayer is a beautiful offering to God when done wisely and in a godly way. And it is something that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness do. People have a passion for the things of God. Uh, every now and again, you know, um, you know, we hear, don't we, of, 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 of a, a renewal uh, breaking out in amongst a people group or in a city or in an area around the world. And when you investigate it, inevitably you find a bunch of people have been praying and crying out to God in anguish, in tears, in desperation for their situation. Many of them women, praying women, wonderful, just superb. Um, you'll find that that occurred before the revival, the Welsh revival, the rev before the revival in the Hebrides, and there's a whole stack of others around that you could be talking about as well. Logically, as I said, it makes absolutely no sense to be indifferent about the things of God. Indifferent about whether or not you do the work of God. My goodness, how can you be indifferent about the God of the universe? Um, and that's why the Apostle Paul urges us, and he says, never be lacking in zeal. <laughs> that's the Apostle Paul. Uh, and he goes on to say, but keep your spiritual fervor. Romans 12, verse 11. And it's just beautiful to read what Jesus says about those who are passionate about pursuing those things that are right and true and Jesus promises that their goal their hope their quest their desire well let me just change that your goal your hope your quest your desire will be satisfied in every way 
In an age when hopes are so often dashed, Jesus makes a promise and he stands by it. And he says, uh, the righteousness that you hope for will be yours to the very limit of your ability to contain it. And he promises that if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, that in the end you will have no regrets. And that's a magnificent promise, isn't it? That is a magnificent promise. No regrets. I therefore invite you, urge you, encourage you, implore you to define what is holy and good and pursue it with passion. Because in the end, Jesus says, you'll be smiling. Every expectation will be fulfilled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's a beatitude for those who dare to care. No careless, indifferent person has ownership of this beatitude. It's sort of no accident, is it, that Jesus took his disciples away from the crowd when he taught them the Beatitudes. The truths were so profound that it was going to be difficult for anyone to, uh, everyone to understand them. Uh, there's a sense in which the Beatitudes are reserved for those who already have soft hearts towards God. Would you agree with that? The Beatitudes are really reserved for those who have soft hearts for God. You may remember that Jesus is coming down the hill from a very early morning prayer time and saw the crowd streaming in, waiting for him to do his healing clinic. And he turns around to his disciples and says, boys, let's get back up the hill. <laughs> I've got something to say to you. It's not for the whole crowd, it's just for you guys. And now Jesus says it to you. To those who have soft hearts towards Jesus and who seek to serve him with zeal. For my part, I want to see you with a smile on your face at the end of time. I shall be looking. I shall be looking around. You better all be there. And I want to see you look like the cat that has got all the cream. I want to see you and the f expression on your face when you, everything is fulfilled and filled up in you and all the hopes that you had hoped for have been realized. I wonder what you'll look like. And I reckon it will be absolutely great. The promise is that if you are passionate about the purposes and values of God, you will not be disappointed and Jesus guarantees it. Ours is an age that calls for those with passion. Passion about righteousness. God has reserved you for this period of time before time began. And he knows exactly what Australia is like. And his answer knowing what Australia's like at this particular time is to put you on planet Earth right now in Australia. And so team, 
can I invite you? Pick up your passion. I'm about to retire, they tell me, from paid ministry. Can you imagine how excited I am to be able to go and play golf four days a week? You've got to be kidding. <laughs> Life. Oh, what did you do? Oh, I, I got my golf handicap down to 42. Uh, okay. How can you get excited about that? Why would you get up in the morning? But to pursue the things of God with passion. Yeah. I want to do that. I have no idea how God's going to do that in my life, in Mary's life. Sometimes get a bit of an idea how God's going to do it in your life. But never doubt that I'm going to be cheering you on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've, um, you've given us the privilege to work with you to share your zeal for this moment in history. You've given us a passion uh, to put things right that are, are wrong. To say things of truth where there's been untruth. To, to show acts of love where there is harshness and injustice. And so, Lord, we pray that you would fill us up with passion. But, Lord, please deliver us from passion without wisdom. And so we ask, dear Lord, for godly passion and a, and, a, and a wise, godly character to drive it because, Lord, that changes history. And, Lord, I just thank you. We thank you as a team. We thank you that you have promised that having that hunger and working towards that holiness, establishing your holiness in our time, that that will be rewarded beyond that which you can even possibly contain, that we will be filled in every way. That's a beautiful promise. We thank you in Jesus' name.